0: You're going to need to turn your Bible to Matthew chapter 12, as well as John's Gospel chapter 16. Once again, Matthew chapter 12... John's Gospel, chapter 16. Um, Let me say how excited I am for Easter. Um, How many of you enjoyed that video? Okay. Uh, I thought Adonis did a great job um, with her little rap, but we really do need help getting ready for that sunrise service. And if you notice those four little kids, those are Pastor Zach's kids. Now, he's got four kids, all under eight years old, and Audrey, his wife, homeschools all of them. She needs prayer. So, make sure that you're in prayer uh, for that incredible family and make sure you're a part of what God is doing here at Easter service. So, we want to invite you to participate and serve in that way. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 12. We're going to be again in John chapter 16. Let's go to the Lord and prepare our hearts for the word. Father, it's in Jesus' name we come before you asking for the power of your Holy Spirit in this place today. For, Lord, in this scripture, there is a truth for us to grasp, a conviction for us to hold. And though we may have had a long night at work, this group has decided, whether here or online, to be faithful to hear the word. And I pray that today you would set people free. I pray that you would minister straight to people's spirits and souls. And I ask that your name would be lifted high through your word, and all of God's people said, amen. Amen. Matthew chapter 12, we're going to pick it up in verse 31. Matthew chapter 12, once again, verse 31, Jesus is speaking, Therefore, I say to you, speaking to the leaders of Israel, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven men, Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it will be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven either in this age or in the age to come. When I get emails about this particular verse in Scripture, usually the understanding that people are going towards is, have I committed this sin? Have I committed the unpardonable sin? Because when you read something like this, you begin or you start thinking about maybe some of the spiritual skeletons that are lurking in your spiritual closet, Now, don't look at me as if you don't have any of those skeletons in your closet. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Those things that, well, even as believers, we're kind of embarrassed to say publicly that we participated Not to mention the things that we may have said or done prior to coming to Christ. Now, earlier in Matthew's gospel, he quotes Jesus as saying, many will come to me on that day and say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do all these things in your name? And Jesus responds and he says, depart from me, I do not know your name. (laughs) You put a scripture like that together along with the unpardonable sin, all of a sudden... (laughs) we begin to think through every sin that we've ever committed and begin to wonder. I'll never forget, during the war in Liberia, I was going to rescue Andrea. We're going to take a five-day, four-night cruise on a canoe on the open ocean. I was with a World War II vet. He was 65 years old. He flew all the way to the Ivory Coast to go in this boat with me to go and rescue my wife. He uh, and I were good friends from Calvary Chapel, Fort Lauderdale, and we were there uh, in the Ivory Coast. And the night before we left to go on that canoe, we wanted to make sure that we were straight with God, that every sin that we'd ever committed, we confessed, because we wanted God to know we want you on our side. So he confessed every sin, and he was 65. He had quite a lot of sin to deal with. He confessed every sin that he'd ever committed. And I confessed every sin that I had ever committed at, to the age of, I think I was 26 years old at that point. My list was a little bit shorter. His took hours. I mean, and I was about, probably about a two-hour trip. And I am very thankful to God that Drew is in heaven with Jesus because he's the only person in the whole world that knows every sin that I have ever committed in my life. But it's amazing. It's amazing. I want God on my side. And so we begin thinking about all the sin that we've ever done. Well, some of us, when we read this unpardonable sin, we even go a step further and we begin to feel condemned about things that we've said or things that we've done. We begin to wonder, is this applied to me? There's no hope for me. You don't know what I've said even before I was in Christ or even while I was in Christ. You don't know what I've done. However, it's important to recognize that condemnation comes from the devil. It's important to remember that Jesus Christ came, I came said, he said, I came to seek and to save those who were condemned. We've got to remember that Jesus Christ died on the cross for enemies. Remember, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Jesus Christ, well, let me give you a Jesus quote. I didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but I came to save those that were in the world. So it's important to live by the truth of this conviction and not by the condemnation that comes from the devil. But before we dig into this text, it's important to maybe understand some other things and let's get the context of what these words mean from the situation that Jesus found himself in. This is Matthew's gospel. And Matthew's gospel was written by a Jew, two Jews, to explain and prove to the Jews that Jesus is the king of the Jews. Once again, this is Matthew's gospel. Keep that in contextual mindset. He's a Jew who wrote to Jews to prove that Jesus is the king of the Jews. That's why he uses more Old Testament quotes than any other gospel writer. And he's trying to prove that the Jewish leaders are about to reject Jesus, but they're in danger of an even greater sin. See, Jesus Christ, he had just healed a man who was demon-possessed. He had just healed a man who was blind and was deaf. And when the Pharisees saw it, they were jealous. And so they looked at Jesus and they said to Jesus, oh, you do this by Beelzebub. You do this by Satan. This is not God. And so Jesus responds and says, you guys are, you are actually in very danger of committing a sin that's unpardonable. You're right on the verge because of you giving credit to Satan what God's spirit is doing. You've got to be very careful. Something else you need to know about Matthew. Matthew wrote his gospel topically, not necessarily chronologically. Like a good pastor, he pulled in a bunch of Jesus' stories to be able to prove certain points. Like I will use an illustration, he would use the stories of Jesus to get his points across. And here in Matthew chapter 11 and 12, he's trying to prove a point. And the point is this, we have a merciful, compassionate, and forgiving Savior in the person of Jesus Christ, no matter how you opposed him. Listen again. We have a merciful, compassionate, forgiving Savior in Jesus Christ, no matter what you've said, no matter what you've done, no matter how you have opposed him. And like the nation of Israel, right here at this time, in this life, we get to choose whether or not we accept the truth of Jesus or reject it. Now, here's what I want all of you to do. Would you stay with me for a minute? I want all of you right now to take in a deep breath. Ready? Take it in and let it out. Huge illustration, right? You breathed. And what I want to let you know for the very fact that you breathed, the very fact that you are alive is evidence that you have not committed the unpardonable sin. Let me say it one more time. The very fact that you are still breathing Is evidence in and of itself that you have not yet committed the unpardonable sin. Wait, 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 did you say not yet? Well, can I commit it? Because I don't want to. The last thing I want to do is commit the. Oh, don't worry, we're going to get there. But before we get there, you've got to understand this is the point. Matthew wraps the truth of the unpardonable sin with the mercy, compassion, and the forgiveness that Jesus offers you today. Now go back with me to Matthew chapter 12. There's something else you need to see. Look at verse 32. Anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it's going to be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, It will not be forgiven him. Now, I want you to hold your finger in Matthew chapter 12. Go with me to John's gospel, chapter 16. We need to know the Holy Spirit. We need to know what is his role, what is his responsibility. How do I not commit the unpardonable sin? Well, John chapter 16 is going to help us out and help us understand. We're going to pick it up in verse 7. John 16, verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I don't go away, the helper, speaking of the Holy Spirit, will not come to you. But if I depart, I'll send him, the Holy Spirit, to you. And when he's come, speaking of the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world. Now maybe you want to circle that word, the world. He will convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. Of sin because they don't believe in me. In other words, he's going to continue the work of seeking and saving the lost. Then he says this, of righteousness, because I'm going to go to the father and you're going to see me no more. In other words, the spirit, my spirit will be here to continue to prove I'm the only way to get to heaven. I'm the righteousness of God, of judgment, Because the ruler of this world is judged and Jesus takes it right to the jugular and he points to the resurrection where the cross made a laughing stock of all of hell and judged the enemy, took away the keys of death and the sting of death and because of the power of the resurrection, the Holy Spirit can bring all of us to Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen? Amen. You see... We have to understand go back with me to John 16:8 he is going to convict the world doesn't say believer doesn't say disciple because we're not talking about sanctification here jesus is talking about salvation you see the holy spirit will convict the believer the holy spirit will convict the disciple that's sanctification But what Jesus is speaking about here is a message to the world that the Holy Spirit will convict the world. He's speaking of salvation. Let me explain the job description. Because Jesus is no longer here, the Spirit of God is still stirring people to believe. Do you remember when you came forward and gave your life to Jesus? Do you remember when your heart was beating out of your chest and your stomach was turning and you thought you had indigestion? That wasn't big Nick's the night before, Okay. That was the Holy Spirit. You see, he works inside of us and he was pulling on your heartstrings to bring you to Jesus. The Spirit is still doing that today. Your salvation is evidence of it. He's stirring people to believe in Jesus, though Jesus is not physically here, and he's giving you the power to come to Jesus and to confess him as Lord. He convicts the world. But not only that, he convicts the world in this age. Go back with me to Matthew chapter 12. Let's put the scriptures together so that we can understand. Look again at verse 32. He convicts the world in this age. For Verse 32, anyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man, it's going to be forgiven him. It will be forgiven him. But whoever speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him either in this age, the age of grace, or in the age to come. You see, the Spirit of God is working in this age, right now, today. It's why the Bible says, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Because there is a tomorrow. You see, we get to repent today. Because If you enter your eternal tomorrow and have rejected Jesus your entire life, there is no more room for repentance. You have committed the unpardonable sin. The Spirit of God is working right now. But when you take your last breath and you've rejected the work of the Holy Spirit who is calling you unto salvation each and every day of your life, you are in danger of committing the unpardonable sin. So I want you to write this definition down so that you can gain some understanding as to what is the unpardonable sin. Would you uh, write this down? The unpardonable sin is the lifelong rejection of the ministry of the Spirit who is convincing the world in this age to come to Christ. So as long as you have breath in your lungs... You've not committed this sin, but the moment that you die and you've rejected Jesus Christ as your savior and Lord, you have committed the unpardonable sin. Now listen carefully, the leaders of Israel, they were dangerously close to committing to this sin and Jesus is warning them, beware. Now Jesus, why would you tell your enemies to beware? Well, Matthew tells us why. Why? Earlier in Matthew's gospel, Jesus said something like this. Listen, he said, you've heard that it was said, love your neighbor. But I say to you, love your enemy. You see, these were the enemies of Christ. But Jesus was in love with them. He's so in love with them, he's warning them, you're on the verge of committing an unpardonable sin by rejecting me. He loves them so much, it's like a parent. If you see your child, the precious little Ethan, or, or, or uh, begin to put his finger inside of a, a light socket, you're going to do everything you can to stop him from putting his finger in there. You might even go, Ethan! Now, Ethan might be startled and go, you hurt my feelings. But you've protected him from electrocution. Jesus is warning them because he loves them. It's like you. You've sat next to the person at work for 15 years. Have you loved them enough to let them know that unless they receive Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord, they're going to hell on a roller coaster and they'll be eternally separated from God. The most loving thing that you can do is tell them that there's a hell where they will be separated from God for eternity. Amen? But that's not at all. Remember, Matthew teaches topically. He's preparing them to hear about this unpardonable sin. And so what he does is he begins to unravel the truth of who Jesus is. So go back with me a page to Matthew chapter 11 as Matthew so diligently prepares us to hear about this unpardonable sin. He says this about Jesus' words, Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Matthew 11, verse 28. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I'm going to give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Did you read that? Come to me all, except you Pharisees. That's not what it says. Come to me all. He's not leaving the Pharisees out. Jesus wouldn't be contradicting himself and saying, all can come, but some of you can't because I know what you've done and I know what you've said and I know what you want to do, Pharisees. No, no, no. He says to all, come to me. And then he says this, everyone come, look at verse 29, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. You see, before Matthew reveals this unpardonable sin, he's going to explain a few things about Jesus for us to learn about him. And then he's going to communicate this unpardonable sin because he doesn't want anyone in this room to commit it. So let's learn a few things about our Savior. The first one I want us to learn is he is merciful. You can write that down and would you say it with me? He is merciful merciful. Let's pick it up. Matthew chapter 12. Let's learn about the mercy of Jesus Christ. Verse one. And at that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath and his disciples were hungry and began to pluck heads of grain and to eat. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. <laughs> Call this pop-up Pharisee. Where were they? I mean they were in the wheat like this just waiting and watching, okay? They're just can they're like the people that watch me in the in the grocery store. And I'm going around with my little cart and I don't know that you're at South Bay and then I put something in my cart that you disagree with. Oh, what you got in your cart there, Pastor Chet? Have you been watching me this whole time? Pop up Pharisees, they're everywhere, okay? And so they just pop up. Oh, what are your disciples doing? Are they reaping on the Sabbath? It actually wasn't against the law to have a little bit of granola on the Sabbath. They weren't reaping, they were just hungry. But the disciples couldn't. I mean, but the Pharisees couldn't take it. They had to catch Jesus in something and take a look at what Jesus says to them. Now remember, he's merciful. Have you not read what David did when he was hungry? He and those who were with him. How he entered the house of God and ate the showbread, which was not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priests. What Jesus does is he pulls out a story from First Samuel twenty-one. David is running for his life. He is, Saul wants him dead. And David takes off out of Jerusalem, and he starts running, and he goes straight to the priests. And they're hungry. They've been running a long time. And he looks at the priests, and he says, hey, do you guys got anything to eat? And the priest says, listen, all we've got is the showbread, but you can't eat that. That's just for us. That's holy. You can't touch it. It's like banana bread at my house. I tell my children all the time, this is holy bread. Do not go near it. This is not for you. This is for the priest in this home, your father, okay? And sometimes those little devils, they'll sneak it away from me. And David eats the show bread and he doesn't die because God knows that David is hungry and God doesn't condemn David for his act, because God is merciful and he knew that David had a need. Let me remind you something else about David. Do you know that David committed adultery? (laughs) Now, if you're new to the Bible and you just found out that King David was an adulterer, let me work with you, okay? Not only did he commit adultery, he killed the husband of the woman that he had an affair with. And when Nathan confronted him, David cried out to God. And in Psalm 51, look what he says. Have mercy upon me, O God, an adulterer, a murderer according to your loving kindness, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. He pleads upon the mercy of God because he knows that God is merciful. God knows our desperate estate. He knows that every single one of us in this room need the mercy of God, and he actually beckons us to ask for mercy. Our great high priest in Ephesians, excuse me, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16, the Bible says, you'll see it on the screen in just a moment, let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Who is thankful that when we mess up, we can go to God and receive mercy because he's merciful? Say amen. Amen. He is merciful. Now remember, Matthew's preparing us for the unpardonable sin. And the way that he prepares us is with a story to say our God is merciful. But not only that, he's compassionate. Would you say that with me? He is compassionate. And I want you to write it down because I want you to remember it. It's our next story in Matthew's gospel, chapter 12. Look at verse 9. Now when he departed from there, he went into their synagogue, and behold... In other words, surprise. That's the Bible's way of saying, this is something to listen to. You'll never believe what I'm about to say. And behold, there was a man who had a withered hand. And they asked him, saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath that they might accuse him? Disabilities were a little bit different in the first century than they are today. The reason why the Bible says behold is because this man probably didn't go to synagogue a lot. Probably didn't walk out in the street a lot without covering his hand. Because people made fun of people with disabilities. They actually felt they were being punished by God in the first century. So this man probably didn't go to synagogue a lot. I'm so thankful in the 21st century we have risen above that mentality. But in this first century world... For this guy to show up in synagogue, he was being used as a pawn. You see, the Pharisees were depending on the compassion of God. So they dragged that man. And he's probably covering his hand. He's probably looking at people, waiting for someone to make fun of him. He's ashamed and embarrassed. And they bring him in front of Jesus. They're depending on the compassion of Jesus, using this man as a pawn to persecute the Lord. But Jesus, all he saw was a man in need, and he did something about it. It's why Matthew would later report, if you would look at verse 20 in Matthew chapter 12, speaking of Jesus, a bruised reed he will not break, a smoking flax he will not quench. He's a compassionate God. My oldest son, Saturday... We adopted him when he was nine years old, but when he was two years old, he rolled into a fire. His mother, his hand was severely burned, so his mother wrapped up his hand in a bandage like this. When she took the bandage off, the burn was so bad that his fingers had fused together. In Liberia, it was no big deal. You see, disabilities are a normal part of life. Everyone's got some disability because of just living in Liberia, just living in Africa. So when he would go to shake someone's hand in Liberia, it was no big deal. But when we moved to the States, you know, we're the perfect people. And so when he would go and shake someone's hand, they would turn his hand over and go, no, what's wrong with your hand? His 16-year-old birthday he came to his dad and I asked him and I said, "Hey, what do you want for your birthday?" He said, "Dad, I want a new hand." I love my son. But let me tell you that surgery cost us $22,000. We didn't have the money. i need to let you know something. Pastors don't make bank, okay? Like, we, didn't, we had nine kids, and I got a son who says, I want a $22,000 surgery. And let me tell you something. 122 stitches later, my son can now stretch out his hands. Because I love my son. I don't want him to remain in that condition. Now, let me finish the story. We had a leak in our house right around the time that he got his surgery, Okay. We made a claim on the house. We got a $22,000 check from our homeowners insurance, and I did all of the work so we didn't need any of the money. And listen to this the check was signed by Jesus Martinez. (laughs) So let me tell you something if you have any doubts, Jesus is Hispanic. Now, the amazing thing is, when I went to Korea, Jesus was Korean, and when I went to Africa, Jesus was African. He will meet you no matter where you are at. Because let me tell you, when Jesus looks at every one of us with compassionate eyes, he sees our spiritual disability, and all he asks is what he asked this man. Look what he said. He says to the man, stretch out your hand. Now, just think of the man. I don't know if I can. Like, do you know... People made fun of me. Are you about to make fun of me? Because that's what people do in the market. They say, stretch out your hand. But something about Jesus, this man stretched it out. He reached toward Jesus and it was restored as whole as the other. That's what Jesus does when he says, stretch out his hand. Brother, do it because he wants to make you whole. He's a compassionate God. You see, earlier in chapter 9, Jesus saw a multitude of people. And the Bible says that he had compassion on them because they were like, a sh- like sheep without a shepherd. And now in the midst of Matthew chapter 12, he's in the middle of another multitude. And I want you to see what happens. He's still proving the point that Jesus is a compassionate God. Take a look at verse 22. Then one was brought to him who was demon possessed, blind and mute. And he healed him so that the blind and the mute man both spoke and saw. And all the multitudes were amazed and said, could this be the son of David? David. Let me tell you, if anyone needed compassion that day was a demon-possessed, blind, and mute man. And there was nothing this man could do. There was no, he needed a miracle from God. He couldn't go help an old lady across the street. He couldn't go buy grocery for someone. There was nothing this man could do. All he needed was the compassion of Jesus. And everyone in the crowd knew it, so they brought him to Jesus. And you know what Jesus did? You don't deserve healing. You know what you've done. It's not what my Bible says. When that man came to Jesus, the Bible says he healed him. He healed him. There was nothing that man did to deserve it. It was just the compassion of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, when the Pharisees heard it, verse 24... The, this fellow does not cast out demons, or except by Beelzebub, the ruler of the demons. They're upset that Jesus is getting praise, that he's being called God. And they're saying, he's not doing this by the hand of God. He's doing it by the devil. And Jesus, you can't outsmart him. He gives an incredible argument. Would you take a look in verse 25? Jesus knew their thoughts. And he said to him, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and every city or house divided against itself will not stand. If Satan casts out Satan, he's divided against himself. How then will his kingdom stand? He makes a very practical argument. If Satan's fighting against himself, he ain't going to win. Then look at his next argument. He says this, And if I cast out demons by Beelzebub... By whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they shall be your judges. In other words, your disciples, they're casting out demons. You don't tell them that they're doing it by the devil. So if you can spiritually do it, why can't I spiritually do it? Very practical argument, but take a look at this last one. I love it. But if I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, and what he's saying to them is you're wrong. If I cast out demons by the Spirit of God, surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. Or how can one enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man and then he will plunder his house? Where Jesus is saying, I've got the authority. I went right into this demon possessed man's house, right into his life, and I said, Devil, come out of him. And did you guys notice the devil listened? You know why he listened? He knows I'm the authority. So don't tell Jesus he can't change you when he looked at a demon-possessed man and said, get out of him. Church, now it's your decision. And Jesus says here in verse 30, he who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters abroad. He says to them, you got to decide. Are you with me or are you against me. Are you with me or are you against me? You've got to make a decision. Remember, he said, you can either make the tree good. You've got a choice. But you're not going to be halfway. You can't say, hey, I'm for Jesus and you're doing all this stuff on the side. You're either with me or you're against me. You've got a choice to make. Now let me tell you the last thing in this choice. He says in verse 31, Therefore, I say to you, every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men. You want me to read it again? Because some of you are still stuck thinking you've done something he can't forgive. So I'm going to read it one more time. Every sin and blasphemy will be forgiven men. Not some but all. There is not one left out of his mercy, left out of his compassion. And let me tell you why. It's our third point. Because he's forgiving. He's forgiving. That's why he says today, if you'll hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. You've got a choice today and only today. Because if you die and enter into your eternal tomorrow, your chance is over. But today, if you hear his voice, you can make the tree good. Now you've got a choice to make just like the Pharisees did, but I want you to see the choice the Pharisees made. It's why he warned them. Take a look. It's verse 38. And some of the scribes and Pharisees answered saying, Teacher, um, we want to see a sign from you. At this point, I wish Matthew would have added, are you kidding? (laughs) You just saw a guy who had a withered hand stretch out his hand in the whole synagogue. You just saw a demon-possessed, deaf, and blind man be totally healed, and you want another sign? No, your heart is just hard. You just don't want Jesus. And I want to show you what Jesus said to a hardened heart. An evil and adulterous generation seeks after a sign. Jesus never struggles with clarity. And no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. You know what Jesus does? Jesus points them to the resurrection. He points them to the fact that your hardened heart can even be changed by the power of the resurrection. You got a choice today. Jesus went to the cross. He died, he was buried, and he rose again. He did all of the hard work so you don't have to. And all he says that if you believe in your heart, And confess with your mouth, you shall be saved. Amen. So what sin have you committed that's unpardonable? I know the enemy wants to condemn you. And listen, believer. You've come to church today. You're actually surprised you came. You've been living a different kind of life. But someone said you need to get to church. He's called the Holy Spirit. And you've thought to yourself, I've done something that I can't come back to Christ. Can I remind you, he's merciful, he's compassionate, he's forgiving. It's the entire point that Matthew is trying to get across. And maybe you've come here today or you're listening online and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord. Today is the day of your salvation. So here's what we're going to do. Believers, Christians, I want you praying right now. Because I believe, like the first and the second service, we saw almost 40 people come to Christ, that God wants to do something at the 1230 service. If you're a Christian here today and you've believed the lie... You've committed something, you've done something, and you've believed the lie, and you've lived in the condemnation. I need to remind you, there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus because he's a merciful, compassionate, forgiving God. And if you come forward as a believer and say, I'm confessing my sin. Listen, believer, Jesus called Peter publicly. He said, leave the nets. He called Matthew publicly and said, leave the tax table. And I'm calling you out publicly to say, listen, I have decided I'm going to follow Jesus. But if you don't know Jesus as your Savior and Lord, today's your day. Now here's what's happening. You're starting to feel the indigestion. You're confusing the spirit for something that you ate. You know I'm talking to you. In fact, someone in the second service said, I thought you were looking at me the whole time. It wasn't me. It was the Spirit. And right now, as the Spirit begins to beckon you, I'm going to call out the worship team. And as they begin to worship, you be the first person to get up out of your seat and come forward. And I'm going to ask, I believe Pastor Dennis, he's going to come and stand right here. And he's going to be waiting here with you. And I'm going to be waiting. Now, here's what's going to happen, just like all the other services. As soon as one person comes forward, every believer is going to stand and applause because there's more joy in the presence of the angels when one sinner repents. And so as the worship team begins to play and you sense the Spirit of God beckoning your heart, you be the first as a believer to say, I am going to make my life right with God. And if you don't know God, today is the day of salvation. Thanks for listening, and we hope you were encouraged by today's message. If you have any questions or just want to check us out, make sure to visit us at ccsouthbay.org. God bless you guys, and we'll see you next week.